Good evening, everybody. How are we doing? Welcome, everybody, to 2018 here on Wednesday nights at Journey the Church. Very grateful that you're here tonight. Make sure you're sitting at a table with other people. Hopefully, there are some people around you, not all by yourself. Um, maybe if you're a married couple, you've been married for like, I don't know, 80 years? You guys, how long have you guys been married? You don't look like you've been married for 80 years, but uh, close to that. Um, you guys can just be lovebirds by yourselves. If anyone wants to join the Wolfries table, you can. Uh, we have plenty of room <laughs> at that table. But hey, we're, what we're going to do tonight, we're going to start off 2018 a little bit different. Um, I know that some legislation was just passed that, uh, some of you guys know where I'm going with this. Uh, you guys know that there's some legislation that has been passed that makes certain practices legal. The junior hires are still in here, so I won't uh, specify what that might mean. But we're going to do things a little bit different here tonight. And so we're actually going to flip off the lights, and the junior hires are going to pass out some gifts for each and every one of you. Some safety first candle tea lights. So go ahead and light it up. No pun intended. We're doing things romantic tonight. We're setting the mood. Bet you've never heard a message by candlelight before. Let's give it up for the junior hires. Thank you so much. Now get out of here. So now as we have this wonderful romantic setting. Walk in the light, the beautiful light. Come where the dewdrops of mercy shine bright. Shine all around us by day and by night. Jesus, the light of the world. O gracious light, pure brightness of the ever-living Father in heaven, O Jesus Christ, holy and blessed. Now as we come to the setting of the sun and our eyes behold the evening light, we sing your praises, O God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You are worthy at all times to be praised by happy voices, O Son of God, O giver of life. Your glory fills the whole world. Tonight we begin the gospel according to John. You know, I was at CLU, I did my undergraduate studies there. I had a, a class, the gospel of John, and it was one of my first few Bible classes ever. And it radically transformed my whole perspective about the Bible. It changed who I was, it changed how I read the Bible, it changed how I lived my life. Dr. Julia Fogg would have me leaving the classroom each Monday and Wednesday with my heart just thumping, my brain exploding with new information, with new understandings, but I felt exhausted when I left too. And it wasn't just that she was, you know, blowing my mind with some amazing facts about the Gospel of John and about the Bible, but that God was speaking through her and God was speaking through his word straight into my heart, soul, and mind. And that's my hope that as we begin this endeavor, the Gospel of John, 
that our hearts and minds would be changed, that we would leave this place excited, excited and thrilled about what God is going to do. But what I want to do is I kind of want to set a little bit of parameters or just like guidelines or, or things that we can challenge ourselves to over this long journey we have ahead of ourselves. I want us to commit to the long haul. Now, that doesn't mean you have to be here every single Wednesday night. I know that life happens, but you can always listen to the podcast, or you can also live stream it if you can't be here, but try and be here. If you commit to being here, your life will change. It will, or someone else's life will change, because we don't just go to church for our own selves, right? We may go to church and affect someone else's life, and it's going to draw us closer to God. So commit to the long haul. Bring your Bible. Now, I know we live in a day and age where we've got smartphones, where we've got uh, the digital age of, of all sorts of things where we can access it. If that's what you do, do that. But if you don't bring a Bible and you don't, you know, come equipped, we have it on the screens, but I want to make this personal. I want to make this personal for you as an experience where you can dig deep and you can see the words coming alive right in front of you. So bring your Bible. Take notes, whether that means in your Bible. It's not illegal to write in your Bible. There's no commandment that says thou shalt not write in your Bible. You can scribble all over it. If you don't want to do that, you can take a separate piece of paper or a journal or something. Take notes because God's going to reveal some stuff to you. There might be some words shared from the stage that you want to write down. I do that all the time. Take notes. And then lastly, read on your own, pray, and apply. So read it before you come, or after, or whenever. Read it on your own, pray about it, and then apply it. God, how is this affecting me? God, what are you saying to me through this whole ordeal? So let's begin tonight with a little bit of table talk after I just harped on you for a little while about a challenge. But let's do some table talk tonight. If you were to write an orderly account of the impact of Jesus on our world, how would you begin? In other words, how would you begin your gospel? How would you begin your telling of the good news? Ready, go. Uh, how many of you guys said that you would start with, like, the birth narrative? That you would start with the birth of Jesus? Not very original, but that's okay. We have Bart. Uh, Bart was the only one who wanted to start like Matthew and and uh, Luke, that's okay. Oh, oh, and also Spencer. It's hard to see in the dark. Uh, that will come in into play a little bit later. Uh, who said they would start with just like his ministry? Like miracles and all that sort of stuff? No one? A couple people. How about anyone start like with the cross? Anyone? Oh, you guys are so alike. You've been married for like 80 years or something like that. <laughs> you guys would start the same exact way. That's so cute. Well, let's begin a little bit of Bible trivia tonight, um, a little game to get us started. What I'm going to do is I'm going to share maybe like the first bit of a book of the Bible, and I just want you to shout it out what book you think that might be. All right, <clears throat> so we'll start with a very easy one, very simple one. Number one, there once was a man named Job. You guys are so smart. All right, number two, so everyone got a point. Good job. Number two, a little bit more difficult. Uh, this is a revelation from Jesus Christ. 
Revelation minus the S, right? There's no S on Revelation. Just remember that. Number three, a little bit more difficult here. King David was now very old. Nope. 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 No. First Kings. Good job. Uh, you're close, Jeff. Really good job on that. Uh, number four, Jerusalem, once so full of people, is now deserted. Not Ezra. No. Pastors? You can use your Bible. Not Ezekiel. Not, no, no, no. What do you do when you're sad? You cry. What's another word for that? Lamentations. There we go. Good job. And then lastly, number five, in the beginning. Both. In the beginning, Genesis and John. The author of the Gospel of John begins with the beginning, just like Genesis, with the exact same words, in the beginning. And we're going to talk about that, but we're going to do another table exercise here. So pull up in your Bibles, pull them up on your smartphones, whatever it may be. Read Genesis 1, 1 through 5, and discuss what are some major themes that emerge in the first five verses. Go. All right, so some of the major themes that we see in the first five verses of Genesis chapter 1 include beginnings, creation, life. Light, darkness, goodness, the same major themes that we find at the very beginning of the Gospel of John. So let's introduce ourselves to the Gospel according to John. It's been said that John's Gospel is like a stream in which children can wade and elephants can swim. A stream that children can wade and elephants can swim. That, that basically means that some parts are really simple. And very straightforward, while other portions of the gospel require the deepest level of historical and theological understanding. Well, the first half of the gospel of John is dominated by notable conversations. Some important conversations that Jesus has with various characters who are not found in the synoptic gospels. The synoptic from the Greek soon means like the same. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which are written with relatively the same material around the same time. But the Gospel of John includes these individuals and their notable conversations. So let's take a look. We've got Nicodemus, one of the leading Pharisees, who comes to Jesus by night in John chapter 3. But there are also two other occasions where Nicodemus comes into play only in the Gospel of John. You've got the Samaritan woman by the well at Sakar who turns out to have had five husbands. Sign her up for the bachelorette. The man takes a little while. It's all right. There was a man who had been ill for 38 years by the pool of Siloam who gets healed in chapter 5. And then a, a man who's born blind whose sight gets restored and his faith gradually increases. He begins to understand who Jesus is. These characters are only found in the gospel 
of John. John is full of dramatic moments, moments that aren't mentioned in the synoptic gospels in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. The woman who's nearly stoned to death after being caught in adultery in chapter 8. This occasion where Jesus weeps at the tomb of Lazarus in chapter 11. And then Jesus washing the feet of the disciples in chapter 13. Now a lot of times what we do is we just smash all the gospels together. And we try and just like understand a, a collective picture of who Jesus is. Which is a great great way to like live our lives. It's called systematic theology. But what's really important is to understand what like the author of the gospel of John is saying in his own right, in his own way. So what we're going to do is focus exclusively on John's gospel. Many of the top hits, you know, some of the best known passages of the Bible are actually in The Gospel of John. Take, for instance, John 3.16 says that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have. Good. You guys are so smart. You don't sound very happy about that, though. That's the only problem I have with that. That's okay. How about John 8.32? Anyone know that one? Yeah, something about being set free, right? And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And now maybe an easier one, John 14, 6. I am the way. I am the way, the truth, and the life, says Jesus. No one comes to the Father except through me. Well, the Gospel of John is full of images and metaphors. You get the Lamb of God, the temple, the bread of life, living water, gate, shepherd, vine, light, and path. There are also metaphors like light and life, water, eating and drinking, new birth, shepherds and sheep, vines, seeds, and growth. Images that are common throughout Judaism and Christianity that really speak about life. And it makes sense because God is the giver and protector of life. God is in the business of life-saving work. How about dating John? Let's put a date, at least, on the Gospel of John. It was written well after the synoptics, probably between 80 and 100 A.D., during a time in which Christians were being kicked out of the Jewish synagogues. It's not written much after 100 A.D., though, because there was a piece of parchment that was found, discovered with John chapter 18, verses from John 18, It was found in 130 A.D. There's people in our world, biblical scholars, who just study pieces of paper and ink and their progression over time. And they're called paperologists. And they they date this at like 130 A.D. That would be a boring job, I think. So we're going to place the date. It probably doesn't matter because people are like, well, I don't really care. But it may be a cool factoid. But this is probably the latest gospel. The last gospel written probably around 100 A.D. So with no further ado, let's stand and get into the gospel of John chapter 1. If you're able to stand, I invite you to stand. We do this to revere the word of God. John chapter 1, 1 through 5 says, In the beginning the word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. 
The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing and honoring to you, Lord. My rock, my redeemer, and all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. So John 1 1a, the beginning of the first verse, begins like this. In the beginning, the word already existed. So John opens in such a way, as we talked about, that it mirrors Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning. Whereas Genesis 1 describes the physical creation, the first creation, John 1 describes the new spiritual creation. Creation. Now, this is not to say that the spiritual and physical are completely separate. I, I don't believe that. But by beginning the gospel in such a way that mirrors Genesis 1, the author of the gospel of John is, is showing us that he's doing some creative work here. That the presence of Jesus, that his inbreaking into our world is a time of new creation in a way. It begins with the word or in Greek, lagos. This speaks of Jesus. This refers to Jesus. In the beginning, the word, lagos. Jesus already existed. This means that Jesus is pre-existent. That he's the son from all eternity, not from a particular moment in time. That Jesus is a son who exists from eternity alongside his father, Because after all, a father could not be a father without having a son. And the son could not be a son without having or have had a father at some point. Jesus is also co-equal and co-eternal with God. The father and was before all time, space, and eternity. That's what it means that Jesus is pre-existent. Like, what does that look like? We just had our Christmas party for the staff, I don't know, a couple of weeks or so before Christmas, and we were prepping for it. It was at my in-laws, I like to call them the outlaws, their place, and uh, we were setting things up, and Ashley always does such a good job of getting all the tables and the chairs and the the napkins and the centerpieces and the tablecloths, all these like cute, pretty things that are apparently really important. She's getting those all together. My mother-in-law happens to be babysitting my two nieces, Ava and Sienna. Well, we're really noisy because I didn't know the kids were asleep. And Ava wakes up. She's 3.75 years old. And she runs out and sleepily gives me a big hug and says, GB! Because that's my name. Apparently, Jeremy is too hard to say. But GB, it, it came about seven years ago with another niece. So I'm, I'm known as GB to the whole entire family. So she's, GB gives me a big hug. And then Ashley, being just the wonderful, brilliant children's director as she is, puts Ava to work. She's like, Ava, come here. Put, put these plates on the table. Put these napkins out. And then there's this big, long table dining room table, and at the center of it, there's this large nativity scene. And Ava comes over to me, and she whispers, she says, that's baby Jesus. I said, oh, really? Well, who's that? This is the kind of stuff you get if your uncle's a pastor. Like, well, who's Jesus? And she's like, well, he's the baby right there. 
You know, I'm like, well, all right, tell me the story of Jesus. He came, he was born in a manger, he died on a cross for our sins, and he rose again. I'm like, wow, you're like 3.75 years old. You are brilliant. But of course, I have to play with her a little bit. I have to mess with her. I'm like, and then what? And then what happened? Like, where is he now? He's not a baby, obviously. Where, where is he? She said, my heart, in my heart. I said, well, how do you get there? How did he get there? She rolls her eyes, GB, and walks away. (laughs) And I was reflecting as she walked away at this. And I was like, man, 3.75 years ago, you weren't even born. But I, I existed. And I remember that. I remember before you were even born. I remember before you were even a twinkle in your mother's eye, I existed. Well, Jesus might as well say before the world was made, before the universe was constructed, before life itself was even a twinkle, I, Jesus, existed. That's what it means that Jesus is preexistent. John 1.1, in the Greek it begins, we had to memorize this in a Greek class one time, in arche in halagos. Translated, in the beginning was the Word. Or we could see this translated in the NLT. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was prastantheon, was with God. But pras implies not just like closeness and nearness and proximity, but in intimate relationship. This is some of the things that you may not get if you're just studying the English text. If you have the luxury of, you know, knowing Greek or or learning Greek or whatever, you get to see the text come alive in a new way. So here we have the Word was with God in an intimate, personal way, and the Word was God. So the Word, Jesus, was fully God in essence. Just as much God as God the Father. What God was, the Word, Jesus, was. Everything God was, in essence, the Word, Jesus, was too. The Word, Jesus, was fully God. But how can that be? My head hurts. It sounds like you're doing like a Dr. Seuss sort of a thing. But but how can one thing be three at the same time? Well, an imperfect example would be an egg. You know, an egg has three different parts. I've got a picture of one for you. There's the shell, there's the white, and then, of course, there's the yolk. But it's all an egg, right? Three distinct parts, but all part of the same thing. It's an imperfect analogy, but it works sometimes. Or maybe a better one, a better way to describe this three-in-oneness would be water. Right? You have three different states of matter. You have liquid, you have solid in the form of ice, and then you have a gas in the form of water vapor. But it's all H2O. It's all this same thing. But here we understand three in one, or perhaps even more clearly, just take an average, ordinary, very good-looking person. Uh, Very, very good-looking. Get ready for it. Right there. That's so disgusting right there. But a person, right? I could be three in one as well. I'm a husband. I'm a pastor. And I'm soon to be a father. 
So those are, yeah, you can clap. They give it up for me. Um, man, it's hard, man. This pregnancy, it's just wearing on me. Sleepless nights. No, it's not that hard on me at all. So, you know, three and one. That's pretty incredible to just consider. And we have to continue to struggle with this. We will always struggle with how do we understand God? Good luck, because he's God. But one of the major themes of the Gospel of John is to highlight the divine nature of Jesus, that he is God. Jesus is God incarnate, God in the flesh, God in the meat, God wrapped in human flesh, what we call the hypostatic union, 100% human and 100% God. He's the 200% man. Jesus is the word, the word of God, everything God would say and do wrapped in human flesh. And Jesus is just as much God as God the Father. Verses 2 through 4 says, He existed in the beginning with God. So there was never a time when Jesus was not. God created everything through him. Everything came into existence through him. Jesus participates in creation. And nothing was created except through him. So nothing came into existence except through Jesus. Verse 4 says, The word gave life. The Greek is zoe. To everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. Zoe shows up everywhere in the Gospel of John 37 times. And 17 of those times, it's in conjunction, used in connection with another word, Ionius, which means eternal or everlasting. And that's what the Gospel of John is about, because that's what Jesus is all about, eternal, everlasting Life, it's what Jesus has come to bring, life and light. And I love what our last verse tonight says in John 1, 5. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. But something just happened there when we went to verse 5. Something shifted, something just changed when we hit verse 5. So what I want you to do is I want you to talk to the people around you, do a little bit more exercise right here, and explore John 1, 1 through 5, read it in your Bibles, and then discuss what major shift occurs when we reach verse 5. So put your brains together and see what you come up with. Ready, go. All right, let's bring them back together. I don't know what you guys came up with, but... Uh, when we reach verse 5, there's a major shift in the tense. Anyone come up with that? Good try. It's all right. Good try. It's all right. It takes a lot of, lot of looking at and a lot of combing through, but something incredible shifts when we reach verse 5. Up to this point, the author has used past tenses. There's multiple tenses for the past tense in Greek. But then when we reach verse 5... It shifts to the present. Let's take a look. In the beginning, the word already existed. And the word was with God. And the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him. And nothing was 
created except through him. Do you see I'm emphasizing the past tense so you can understand? Okay. The word gave life to everything that was created, and this life brought light to everyone. Verse 5. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. The light continually shines and shines on. It's not that the light shined in the darkness and the darkness could never extinguish it way back when at some other time. No, even as the author writes and as the readers read, the light continues to shine. And I think that's pretty incredible that the light is still shining, that the light of the world never ceases to shine. So what does that mean to you in your life? Yeah, talk about it. What does it mean to you that Jesus' life brought light to everyone and that this light is inextinguishable? Ready, go. So it sure has been kind of difficult having everything in the dark tonight, I guess. I hear a lot of complaining. The side of the room is like complaining, turn the lights on, turn the lights on. We can't see. And how, uh, how similar that is to our lives, right? Where it's really difficult to actually see when we're walking through the dark. And we come together and we experience this glorious light when we are near to God and we're near to each other. But then out in the world, sometimes we just forget about it. And we hide our light under a, a bushel or a bucket or something like that. And we don't, we don't live out our calling as being the light of the world. And uh, yeah, I was thinking today, I was running on a treadmill. My legs were hurting. My shins were like screaming at me. And I was, I was thinking like, you know, because I don't know, that's what you do in January, right? You think about your life and you think about what you want to like not fail at over the next year and what you may want to achieve and stuff. And I was thinking like, yeah, my, my life goal is to like love God and love people, right? That's like should be every Christian's goal and dream. But I was thinking I want to actually help other people love God more and help other people to love other people more. And of course, do that to myself in the same way. And so what I felt like doing tonight is to to give you maybe some tools in order to do that. Yeah, we went through the whole message, we went through the scripture, but there were so many different things and so many things that are awaiting you as you leave. So I just want to give you a little bit of takeaway. A couple things, very simple, that you can walk away with that what tonight was all about. So here's your takeaway. Jesus is God. Fully God. Some people of other religions would disagree. Okay. Well, take it up with Jesus then, because he's God. Uh, secondly, Jesus is preexistent. He existed before everything. And Jesus brought light and life, a light and life that are inextinguishable. And that light resides in our hearts if we claim to be followers of Jesus and walk in the light. I want to close with what we opened with tonight. Just a prayer. Walk in the light, the beautiful light. Come where the dewdrops of mercy shine bright. Shine all around us by day and by night, Jesus, the light of the world. O gracious light, pure brightness of the ever-living Father in heaven, O Jesus Christ, holy and blessed. 
now as we come to the setting of the sun and our eyes behold the evening light. We sing your praises, O God, Father, and Holy Spirit. You are worthy at all times to be praised by happy voices, O Son of God, O giver of life. Your glory fills the whole world. So God, shine your light in our hearts. And would we shine the light to those around us. Lord, we trust you. And we want to grow in faith and in our faithfulness to you. We want to love you better. And we want to love the people around us better. So Lord, we pray these things through Jesus Christ, our Lord, the one who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen.